Welcome to this month's special series, Exploring Heart Health, on ReachMD XM157. Stroke is the third leading cause of death in America and the number one cause of adult disability. Are you doing everything you can to help your patients recover? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, Director of Foothill Psychiatry in Boise, your host, and with me today is Dr. Cindy Ivanhoe. Dr. Ivanhoe is attending physician at the Brain Injury and Stroke Program at the Institute for Rehabilitation and Research and medical director of Mentis Neuro Rehab in Houston, Texas. She is also an associate professor at Baylor College of Medicine. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you. Now, Dr. Ivanhoe, let's talk about the basics here. How many Americans have a stroke each year? It's estimated that over 700,000 people are affected by stroke in this country every year, and approximately 160,000 people die from stroke. There will be many people who go on to be permanently disabled as a result of their stroke. What are some of the disabilities or long-term effects that you do see after a stroke? Patients can have problems with their thinking, sometimes with their behavior, communication, swallowing, movement, such as their walking or transferring. They can have problems with bladder and bowel. Mood is certainly affected by stroke. So all sorts of things, obviously. Yeah, a whole conglomerate of presentations. How do you know, again, thinking most of our listeners are primary care docs, where do you start in terms of rehab? You know, I usually think about a neurologist, you're a physiatrist. Where should we start, or is there some sort of algorithm after a stroke? What do we do with these patients to get them into rehab? Well, most patients will be referred at some point after their strokes for a physiatry or rehabilitation consult. Sometimes it's through neurology, sometimes it's through rehabilitation. And then, depending on multiple factors, they may go into acute rehabilitation. They may go to a subacute nursing facility or SNF. If they have a lot of medical complications, they may initially be placed in an LTAC, long-term acute care. And then they will generally be followed through a system that varies regionally, whether they get followed long-term by neurology or a combination of neurology and rehabilitation will depend somewhat on their medical issues, as well as their rehabilitation issues and presentations. So could you outline it for us? What path for which patients? I'll give you an example, a couple of examples about how patients get referred to me. Some patients may come and see me when they get admitted for acute rehabilitation after their strokes. Some patients will get admitted in an inpatient setting months or even years after their strokes because they somehow finally access the system or they have new goals that can justify an inpatient stay. Some patients will be seen many years or months after their strokes when they're already at home and have new or ongoing rehabilitation needs. And having done this for a long time, it's interesting when I see patients who I haven't seen in many years, where even 10 years ago, we thought we had pretty much everything that we could offer at that point in time, and then for whatever reason, they show up again and they have new goals or there are treatments available that maybe we were more reluctant to use 10 years ago. So since stroke will very often leave people with a permanent disability that's ongoing, I think it's important to remember that we need to look at them with fresh eyes when those opportunities arise to see what other interventions may now be appropriate for them. Additionally, way back when we used to say the recovery that you get in the first six months is all you're going to get, mm. and we now know that's not true. So there is very often more reason than not to try new interventions, to look at patients 
from a new perspective and see what sorts of interventions we may offer them that might be worthwhile. If we don't offer them anything, then they're not going to get any better. But very often they'll surprise us if we give them the opportunity to try out new techniques. So clearly not every patient needs rehab after a stroke. No, that's true. And the patient population that I see is more likely to be the patients who do. The patients who do really well after strokes are very often just going to go home or go to an outpatient setting for therapy and not necessarily need as much coordination of their care. So it will depend on the severity of the stroke and whatever long-term sequelae those patients face. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Cindy Ivanhoe. We are discussing managing the stroke patient. So ideally, Cindy, after the acute event, when should rehab begin after a stroke? Can I admit my bias here? Oh, of course. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I think that there is a role for rehabilitation early on, and often that's what happens. Again, that depends on your hospital setting and the region of your country. But if patients are going to transfer to an inpatient rehabilitation setting, then very often the motivation for the referrals to rehabilitation are how can we move this patient through the system faster, not necessarily is it time to go to rehabilitation. And that's that's not meant to be a ding. That's just kind of the reality that we practice under. But very often, patients will initially be referred to rehab early on, and the decision will be made as to whether or not which rehabilitation setting most appropriately fits where they are in that stage of recovery, whether it's going to be to home and outpatient therapy, community reintegration programs that there are different types, such as a residential program or outpatient community reintegration programs whether that patient should be in an acute care setting. Those patients tend to have more medical issues as well as more of a need for significant coordination of rehabilitation services. So patients can go through the system in multiple ways, and the things that will affect that will be referral patterns, family, patient, and physician understanding of what's available. Funding certainly plays a huge role in where patients go and when they access which types of therapy are available to them. Why don't you lay out the menu for us in terms of what treatments are available? The most common therapies that people think of are physical therapy or PT, OT or occupational therapy, and speech therapy. In a categorical stroke rehabilitation or nerve rehabilitation program, your patients are more likely to access neuropsychology and or psychology coordinated services with social work. We at CIRR, we have music therapy and therapeutic recreation, which is a fabulous way to keep your patient's interest, basically, in performing therapeutic tasks in a way that's much more entertaining and palatable for a longer period of time. There may be groups in an inpatient setting that are run by different disciplines or a combination of those disciplines, speech and physical therapy, occupational therapy, neuropsychology, however it fits into that specific framework. Many people will think of physical therapy as dealing with the leg and walking and occupational therapy dealing with the arm and dressing. But the reality is that all of the therapies need to be dealing with the whole patient and the body. And we're not that compartmentalized. How we stand on both legs can affect our posture and stability when we're dressing, how we're positioned in a wheelchair, which is, at least in this setting, more the realm of occupational therapy, that can affect how patients swallow. It can affect the degree to which you interact with your environment. Sometimes when I give lectures on 
spasticity or tone management, I'll, I'll ask people in the audience to tip their left ear towards their left shoulder, then bend their head back, try to swallow, turn to the left, and have a conversation, because that's how many of our patients look after stroke. But to get them out of that sort of a position is going to involve more of a team approach, more of an interdisciplinary approach to managing all the different aspects that contribute to those abnormal movements, that contribute to those abnormal swallowing mechanisms, patients' cognition, etc. And I would advise people driving while listening to this not to <laughs> attempt any of that. I just tried to do it. I can't even do it just sitting here. Yeah. Now, out of all the things you've mentioned, what do you think is the most difficult problem to treat? Well, I think one of the most difficult problems to treat is the attitude of many professionals about what's possible, that we have a tendency to draw judgments about what may or may not be accomplished by our patients. And many people get denied care because maybe people who are treating them don't have an idea of how to treat them or don't think that they have room for improvement. And if you only raise the bar so high, you're not going to get past it. That said, it's often very difficult for people to access the types of services and a type of approach that will be more aggressive, that will push them to do more, that that will look at creative ways to engage a patient. I think another thing that's difficult is having patients not necessarily be on medications that can impair their ability to participate in rehabilitation. And I think that's often an issue. We see patients come in on multiple drugs that are going to impair their cognition, potentially impair their swallowing, their coordination, their strength, etc. And then we try and make them exercise all day. So using medications effectively, limiting medications as much as possible, or choosing them judiciously, I think is also a big issue. So which of these meds do you commonly see as culprits interfering with the rehab process? Anticonvulsants. Many patients who really, by standard of care, don't need to be on anticonvulsants are on anticonvulsants. Patients often come over on neuroleptic medications that they may not need to be on. Something that many patients benefit from but don't get is antidepressants. Antidepressants, particularly the antidepressants available today, will very often help patients have more energy, have more focus, deal with the issues that they're facing and the changes in their lives more effectively in that rehab setting. And yes, it is normal to go through emotional adjustments and mourn when you've gone through a stroke. That doesn't mean that we necessarily should allow that to get in the way of our patient's progress, provided the patient and family are open to trialing antidepressants. I'll tell you, in my experience, most of them are. Most of them are really grateful when Mm. somebody brings up the issue of how their mood is affecting their progress. Now, it sounds like for those of us that were trained in the dark ages like me, that there really have been some huge advances, and, and maybe that's where we need to start is educating physicians like me, that the way we were taught really isn't the way it is anymore. We all get kind of caught in our own time warp. I'm sure I'm in mine as well. And it's very difficult to keep up with different ways of approaching how to intervene and how to facilitate our patient's recovery. I try to look at it from as practical standpoint as possible, meaning when this patient goes home, what can we do in the rehab setting that's going to facilitate their successful reintegration at home? And that can mean limiting meds, limiting the care needs, caregiver burden, particularly for patients who may not be independent initially or may never become independent. 
So just taking a broader view and, and then, you know, we as physicians, we're trained to add medications. As far as I remember, you know, that was how I was trained. I think I still see that in the residents who come through. But in reality, when you have to start taking medications or somebody is giving you medication three, four times a day, that becomes quite burdensome in the face of everything else that people have to do in the day. So just trying to take a practical approach and looking at the side effects of these drugs on patients as well. Well, thanks for being on the show today, Cindy. Okay, thank you. I'd like to thank our guest today, Dr. Cindy Ivanhoe from TIRR, the Institute for Rehabilitation and Research in Houston, Texas. We've been discussing the long-term management of stroke. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so visit us at reachmd.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you access to our entire program library. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to our special series, Exploring Heart Health. Join us all month for more here on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals.